0: we're in this uh, Beatitudes series. We, we have a, a social distancing full house here today, uh, so I think that we're, we're pretty full uh, if you're watching, but we're in this Beatitudes series, and uh, kind of the idea of, of us going into this was to really give us a good place to start when we talk about what it's like to live the Christian life. As we've been going through this series, uh, if you're like me, as we've kind of been hitting each of the Beatitudes one at a time, if you're kind of like me, you find yourself uh, having this mini spiritual panic attack uh, because as you're hearing the messages, you're recognizing I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. And I just want to encourage you that that's a very good place to be, that we should never be in a place to where uh, we think that we can do this on our own. Because if we are in that place, then guess what? We don't need a Savior. And so we we would just say, God, uh, deliver us from any religiousness or religion that says that we can do it on our own. As the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to give us these character traits that we ultimately need Him to do through us. We need the power and the presence of His Holy Spirit to be evident and to be present to give us the strength to walk these character traits out. These beatitudes aren't some formulas for us to get into heaven. They're not like some uh, kingdom formulas that if we just do A, B, and C, then, then we will we will work our way into heaven. That's a works-based theology, and we don't believe that. We believe that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that none of us can boast, oh, look at what I've done. Th- these aren't just uh, some uh, a list of things that that we do in order to gain more favor from God. That These aren't things that if we uh, you know, need a job, or or our finances are tight, or we need direction in our life. These aren't a list of things that. Well, if I just do the Beatitudes, if I just if I if I just impure in heart, if I'm a, a peacemaker and if I'm meek and and you know, I, I show humility and all those things, that I will gain more favor from God, and and it will be like I've rubbed my little genie lamp, and God will do what I need Him to do in my life because I've done these list of things. No, that's not what these are. These beatitudes are actually distinctive articles of clothing that we put on as kingdom-minded people, as as people of the kingdom of heaven that that makes us stand out in the midst of the world that we live in. These are garments that we put on that make us stand out, not in just some self-righteous way. I mean, we all know those people we know the self righteous we don't want to be those people but they make us stand out in such a way that attracts the beauty of Christ that attracts people to Jesus that when people see us and clothed in these garments that there's something different about us and that is what we're called to be as citizens of the kingdom of heaven that's what we are called to be as Christ followers in our world today, the Beatitudes are blessed are those that take vengeance. Blessed are those who are vindictive. Blessed are those who, if, if you cut me, I'm going to cut you. That's, that's the Beatitudes that we live in. We, we live in a world where we would say, blessed are those who tick me off. I'll wake up and tweet a bunch of things. Like, like That's not what we're called to. We are called to blessed are the peacemakers. That's what we're called to be. For they will be called children of God. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what does it mean to be a peacemaker in the world that we live in today. I'll tell you a story about Tom and Thordis. Tom and Thordis were in high school in Iceland. This is a true story. Uh, Tom was a foreign exchange student from Australia and he goes to Iceland and he meets Thordis and Uh, And they go to high school together, and they begin to date. And as they begin to date, one of their very first dates, uh, and really their last date, was uh, the annual Christmas dance. At the end of the dance, tragedy struck, and Tom raped Thordis for two long hours. Naturally, he broke up with her the next day and left her devastated. For the next nine years, nine years, she wallowed in a lack of confidence. For nine years, Thordis had shame, a pervasive sense of of feeling and being dirty. Her self-worth was completely shattered. She tried to find peace, but she couldn't. She had a growing sense that the only way that she could find peace was if she reached out to the person who assaulted her. That if she reached out to Tom, then maybe she could find peace. And so, Thordis sends him an email, not really knowing what to expect. Tom had at this time moved back to Australia, and so she sends him an email, and and she's not sure if he'll respond to it or if he'll uh, if he'll lash back at her or deny things or whatever, but she she just felt like that's what she was supposed to do and she sends it. And Tom emails her back. Tom seems contrite, he seems apologetic, and he says all the right things. And for the next eight years, Tom and Thortis emailed each other back and forth. But still, Thordis had this thing in her that, yeah, she did feel a little bit better because there was communication there, but she hadn't arrived at this place called peace. She had this feeling eight years into the correspondence with Tom that the only way that she could truly have peace in her life was if she could look Tom in the eyes and share her story. So she pitched the idea to Tom, and Tom said, well, whatever will help bring healing into your life, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. If you're not geographically minded, Iceland's here, Australia's down here. And so they decided that they were going to meet up in the middle somewhere and uh, that they were going to meet in a common place. And they decided to meet up in South Africa, so they bought tickets uh, and ended up in Cape Town South Africa where they would spend a week together interestingly a place known for reconciliation in tears she poured out her heart and in tears he listened and he asked for forgiveness they chronicled their story together and they co-wrote a book called South of Forgiveness if you're interested to great read South of Forgiveness they chronicled their journey in the book, but they also did a TED Talk. There's a picture of them doing their TED Talk together. And in the first week of doing this talk, there were more than two, uh, it was viewed, their YouTube video was viewed more than two million times. People could not believe to the extent and the length that Thordis went to in order to have peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In order for us to fully understand what it means to be a peacemaker, we have to take a step back. We have to look all the way back to the very beginning and recognize that when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they first sinned, What happened was they began to cover themselves. They went from innocence and nakedness and intimacy with God to now all of a sudden sin separating and wreaking havoc on that relationship. We have to recognize, and I know this is stating the obvious, if you've been seeing any sort of news media or on social media or anything along those lines, you and I live in a world that is marred by sin. It's marred by sin. It's, it's a mess right now. It's wreaking havoc all over the place. And in the case of Adam and Eve, it, it began this trajectory where it would sever Relationships. See, sin isn't just personal. We think, well, if, it's, if I sin, then it just affects me. The reality is, sin impacts everyone around me. It tears up relationships. If we look at examples in Scripture, we see David, the homewrecker. I know he's known as the man after God's heart, but he's actually a homewrecker. David. Commits adultery with Bathsheba, and and when he he can't cover up his sin, he has Uriah killed and 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 murdered, and now he's wrecked that home. Be, after that, what we see is tribes going to war with one another because of sin. Jesus tells the story of a rebellious teenager who wants things his way and his way only, not that. The, any of our teenagers are that way, but but this teenager in particular began to bring uh, division in the home. He wanted his inheritance, and he ran away with his inheritance, and he tore up the home as he disrespected his parents. See, sin is not just personal. Sin rips at relationships. Look at our own lives for just a moment. If you're watching online, think about your own relationships. Take inventory of the kind of relationships that you have and think about those relationships in your life that are not what they used to be. If we keep digging backwards, if we keep uncovering what we'll find is a three-letter word with I in the middle of it called sin. Some people struggle with their relationship with their father, but That the relationship has never been right, and you know it's not been right, and it's never been right because of his sin. We could go the other direction, and maybe you have a relationship with your child, and, and your child is selfish, narcissistic. And that relationship with your child isn't thriving, and you're grieving over it because of their sin. We could take a microphone, and we could pass it around this room, and we could hear story after story after story of relationships that are not right, that are broken, that are hurting. That's... Not always, but many times a result of sin. If you get nothing else out of today, my hope is that you will embrace and take to heart this definition of what does it mean to be a peacemaker. Brian Lordis says, Lord says it like this. A peacemaker is one who at risk to themselves and the relationship. They step into the conflict and the brokenness with the singular aim to bring about restoration and wholeness. Let me read it again. A peacemaker is one that at the risk to themselves and the relationship, they actually step into the conflict and the brokenness with the singular aim to bring about restoration and wholeness. Jesus doesn't say blessed are the conflict avoiders. He doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peace-loving. He doesn't say, blessed are the peaceful, even. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. William Barclay says it this way. He says, the peace that the Bible called blessed does not come from the evasion of issues. It actually comes from facing them, dealing with them, and conquering them. What this beatitude demands is not the passive acceptance of things because we are afraid of the trouble of doing anything about them, but the active facing of things and the making of peace when the way to peace is through struggle. Peacemaking implies that there's conflict. Peacemaking implies that something 's off in the relationship, and so we have to do something that there's there's been a speed bump that 's been in our way, and we've we 've got to do something to bring restoration and wholeness back to the relationship. The problem is is when it comes to conflict, there are two kinds of people, and you are one of them, probably. Unless you're perfect and then you're Jesus, but you're not. So, you are one of these people. The first one, I have a picture of it, is uh, you're a turtle. See, the turtle, when conflict arises, withdraws. It pretends like danger doesn't exist. It huddles back into its shell and hopes that the danger just goes away. When you are friends with someone or married to somebody or have a family member that's maybe just a little bit touchy or a little bit oversensitive, the turtle doesn't want to bring anything up for fear that all hell is going to break loose. That if I act like it's not there, then I'm just going to keep the peace. But Jesus didn't ask us to be peace keepers. He asked us to be peacemakers. Others of us avoid the issue because we have too much going on in our life right now. I don't have the bandwidth. I see this a lot in the younger generation. It's, it's like I just, it's so too overwhelming. Conflict is overwhelming and so I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to address it. So I'm just going to turtle up and act like it's not even there. Others turtle up by, by avoidance, by thanking God for things like caller ID Thanking God for the snooze button on social media or the block button on social media because I I have just dealt with it. I'm done with you and you, you don't even know that I'm done with you. There is, however, a second kind of person. And if you're not finding yourself in the turtle category, you might find yourself in this category. That other people are sharks. See, sharks, when they sense something is wrong, they go after it. If you find yourself where there's an issue that's come between, I'll just use married couples for a moment between you and one of you as a shark and one of you as a turtle, and you start saying, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? That's what sharks do. What's wrong? There's something wrong with you. we got to deal with this. we got to address this. we got to handle the conflict right now in this moment. Sharks in nature can't swim backwards. I don't know if you knew that or not, just a little... Shark Week trivia for you. They can't swim backwards. And so they can only go forward and they're only going to address the conflict and address it. And they do it in such an aggressive way. It's to be vulnerable for a moment in my marriage. I know this is going to come as a surprise to many of you. I'm the shark, my wife is the turtle. And so we have to navigate conflict in a way that is helpful, not hurtful. See, as a shark, our problem is that we want to confront everything. And our aggressive posture, instead of bringing wholeness to the relationship, actually kills it. Turtles don't deal with it, but sharks kill it. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Who, what are we supposed to be and when it comes to conflict? Well, I believe that we're supposed to be doctors. When you feel conflict in your body, when there's a sickness going on in your body, and you go to the doctor, the doctor is going to ask you a series of questions. He's going to try to evaluate what needs to be done in your body. And what happens is, based upon the answers to those questions he will determine whether or not this is something that just needs to run its course. I don't know why I did that, but but whatever. It just needs to run its course. It just needs to get out of your body. In other situations, he prescribes medication to bring you to a place of health, and and there's things that you can take and do that will actually bring health to your body. And then there are other scenarios in which he has to inflict more pain onto your body in order for there to be long-term wholeness. See, we're to be doctors when it comes to the relationships, when it comes to being a peacemaker. There are things that you don't need to have conflict about. As you are married longer and longer, you realize that there are things that you just don't need to address. It just needs to work its course and work its way out, and it will. But then there are other things where you actually have to sit down and have a conversation and talk about what's going on. And then there are other scenarios and circumstances in which you actually need to inflict a lot more short-term pain in your life in order for there to be long-term wholeness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. As Jesus is preaching, Matthew is recording this, right? He's writing this down, and, uh, and, and as he's writing it down, he's writing it in Greek. And the Greek definition for peace in this case is tranquility or settledness. When Jesus says blessed are the peacemakers, the Greek word speaks of how we address the conflict, that when we walk into the storm or when we walk into the conflict, we do so with a settledness, with a tranquility. The idea is, is that it's really calling for a ceasefire, right? The, the, the Greek definition is more like a, a ceasefire, that the two armed Parties are going to put down their weapons and they're going to not lob grenades at one another. That they've just chosen to, uh, to not shoot at one another. There's a way to go about conflict that, that I believe honors God, there's also a way to go about conflict that dishonors God. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, he says, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. What's Paul calling us to do here? He's saying, I, I, want, you, I want you to be doctors. I want you to speak truth, but I want you to speak truth in love. I want you to deal with the issue, but I want you to deal with the issue in love. Why does he want that because he wants us to have peace in our life. There's a great book by Danny Silk called "Keep Your Love on," which helps navigate conflict between your relationships. I highly recommend it our staff has been through it, and it's it's just we've taken people through it in small groups and it helps you. Speak the truth in love. Matthew is recording Jesus in the Greek, but these men are Jewish men. And so the concept of peace in Hebrew would be that of shalom. And the definition of that is wholeness and restoration, that shalom is is about bringing about Wholeness into your life. Dale Bruner says it this way when Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, it could be said, Blessed are the whole makers. To make peace is not just that we're going to stop arguing, it's not that we're just going to have a ceasefire and we're not going to argue anymore. To make peace is to restore and repair the relationship, to bring it to a place of wholeness, it's to get back on track. So that shalom is not just concerned only about that you did something to me, we argued about it, or we fought about it, I gave you the silent treatment, and now we're just going to ignore it and go our separate ways. Shalom is about saying, now we get to go and have coffee. Shalom is about hugging it out. Shalom is about repairing the relationship as it once was. Isn't that what Thortis did in her situation? She came to a place of shalom, of wholeness, of reconciliation. And I need you to hear me say this because it's really important. Many people got really upset at Thortis and Tom for sharing their story, specifically at Tom, because they felt like a rapist should never be platformed in such a way. I'm not saying that if you've ever been assaulted that you need to reconcile in the way that Thordis did with her ass- assailant. Many of us call a ceasefire. But many of us fail to take the step of shalom. Bishop Desmond Tutu from South Africa. He's one of the most well-known human rights activists. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984. He says it like this uh, in his book, No Future Without Forgiveness. And I want us to think about this, not just in the context of our relationships, but in the context of the world that we live in right now. He says, none of us possess a kind of fiat by which we can say, let bygones be bygones. And hey, presto, They then become bygones. Our common experience, in fact, is the opposite. That the past, far from disappearing or laying down and being quiet, has an embarrassing and persistent way of returning and haunting us unless it has, in fact, been dealt with adequately. Unless we look the beast in the eye, we we find it has an uncanny habit of returning to hold us hostage. You haven't made peace when you stop arguing, you make peace when you sit across the dinner table. You make peace when you hug it out. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. When you go about making peace, it's it's one of the strongest witnesses that we can have to the world. When we go about making peace, what happens is we begin to look like our father. We are children of God. The, the, when we begin to, to make peace, when everything in us says, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to address it, I want to hide in my shell, when you push against that through the power of the Holy Spirit, and He, he God says to you, now you look like your dad. Interestingly, Jesus is, a name for Jesus is Prince of what? Of peace. Why do they call Jesus the Prince of Peace? Because he went to a cross. He who had no sin took on the sin of the world, went to a cross and died a death that we should have died And he brought about peace and reconciliation and wholeness between us and the Father. See, God wasn't a turtle. If he was, he would have ignored our sin and we would have died in hell. He also wasn't a shark, because if he was a shark, he would have consumed us. Instead, he sends his son Jesus, the great physician, to bring about reconciliation and peace into our life. Romans 5.1 reminds us of this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelations 3.20 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is, this is a picture of Jesus knocking on our door, wanting to create peace in our life. It says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So the question for all of you watching online, for everyone in this room right now, is do your relationship with other people tell the story of what Christ has done for you? When people see your life, when they recognize your relationships, do they see the Father? Are you a peacemaker? Listen, I get it. I understand that there are going to be people in your life where you try your best, right? You do your best or you've sent the email or you've made the phone call or you've tried to schedule the lunch and the reality is is that the other party is not willing for any sort of reconciliation and it's why Romans 12 is so helpful that says, try your best to be at peace with everyone. And so maybe a follow-up question for all of us is are we trying our best? Are we doing our best to be people of peace, to be peacemakers? Are we being intentional in our relationships that that when we know that there is a severed relationship or we know that there is reconciliation to be had, are we going and pursuing that? Are we making peace or are we just avoiding it? Can I encourage every single one of us? When we begin being peacemakers in this world, when we put on those garments, we will be called children of God. When we put on those clothes, people will see something different than what they see in this world. They'll see peacemakers, and they'll see Jesus. Let's pray.